many of us say that we're willing to endure any difficult thing that God calls us to do, Gracia Burnham knows what it's like to live that claim out. One day we were walking through a swamp, waist-high swamps. We'd just been in a gun battle. There were wounded, they were dragging them through the swamps. We were exhausted. And I remember thinking, all of a sudden, people are praying for us right now. The military came up over the hill and opened fire on us like they'd done, you know, 16 times before. And Martin was laying there bleeding from his chest and I was shot in the leg. And I remember just having a peace in my heart. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. We have a very special privilege today. In our studio with us, we have Gracia Burnham, former hostage in the Philippines, somebody that many of our listeners will recognize her name. Many of our listeners will have prayed for you mm. while you were in the Philippines. So welcome, Gracia. It's a privilege to have you here. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. Gracia is the author of two books, and uh, one, In the Presence of My Enemies, talks about your experience in the Philippines. And one of the things that you and Martin managed to do, I, I think, from, from reading your book and from hearing you speak, is you, you managed to balance, we want to reach these guys and we love them because they need the gospel— at the same time, you were very clear, they're the bad guys. Mm. They're, they're our enemies. They're holding us against our will. How did you do that? Was that a, a spiritual gift? Was that more Martin than you? Kind of talk to us about um, that. We talked that out because you've heard of the Stockholm Syndrome, I'm sure, where a person being held hostage takes on the grievances of those holding him we did see that start happening to us. So we would, every once in a while, we would say, okay, who are the good guys? The good guys are the ones shooting at us. <laughs> who are the bad guys? The bad guys are the ones shielding you in a gun battle and feeding you and making sure you have some water because it did kind of get all convoluted in your, in your mind. We would remind ourselves who the good guys were, who the bad guys were. And yes, the Abu Sayyaf were dirty rats, and they still are. But Jesus died for dirty rats, and we're all the same. We're awful sinners in need of God's grace ourselves, and there but by the grace of God go I. God taught us some pretty important lessons. Maybe it took a year in the jungle to learn them all, but yeah, we started seeing their neediness and the, the end, the end of what they were doing, their destruction, and it kind of, it broke our hearts. And I think Martin particularly had a gift for that. I mean, he really reached out. He did. Martin was a compassionate person all through our missionary career. You know, we'd get in a taxi in Manila, and by the time we reached our destination, he would know that taxi driver's name and how many kids he had and what his dreams in life were. And Martin loved people, and it didn't stop when we got taken hostage. And, you know, I think that's kind of what, kept me safe, even. The guys really liked Martin, and I think because they liked him, they they didn't 
touch me. And um, even that, you know, wasn't that good of God to give me that man with that personality. This could be a much worse story. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate about your writing is you're very honest in sharing your experiences and sharing even some of the maybe not not good experiences. You mm. talk about the fact that while you were held captive, you weren't always joyful in your suffering. <laughs> well, that's an understatement. <laughs> I got a good look at myself when suddenly everything was taken away. And what I saw was shocking because I thought I was a pretty good person. You know, we'd left the American dream and we'd gone overseas and given our lives to help people. And suddenly everything was gone. And I saw the hatred in my heart. And when someone had food and they didn't share it with us and we were starving, I coveted their food. And I thought I was above that. And all of a sudden, my my world came crashing in, and I saw what I really was, and it shocked me. I just had to ask God, could you start building good things back into me? And, you know, God's faithful. He he did. He does. So uh, almost that was a, a spiritual reset for you. You know, that's a good way to put it. It truly was. I didn't realize how I had been just kind of coasting through my Christian walk, or I don't even know how to say it. And I had to go back and decide again, what do I believe? There were days when I thought God had forgotten us. There was one day, about 10 weeks into our captivity, I decided God didn't love me anymore, because if God loved me, I wouldn't still be here, because we'd been begging him to get us out of there. And that led to depression and being hard to get along with and crying all the time. And I was sitting by the river one day and Martin came and sat down and said, Gracia, it's so sad to see you giving up your faith. And I said, oh, I'm not giving up my faith. I still believe that God made everything and Jesus died for our sin. I just don't think God loves me. And Martin very gently, as always, said, oh, seems to me you believe it all or you don't believe it at all. He said, you need to decide what you believe. And I sat there and thought, okay, scripture tells me that God loves me. I've loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. And I started thinking all all those verses about love and thought, okay, maybe I'm not feeling it right now. It's not working for me. But God's word says that he loves me. That was kind of the reset. I thought, okay, I'm going to take God's word for what it is, and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to hang on to it with everything I've got because I'm in a bad place and I can't help myself. May as well let God do it, right? It's interesting that you talk about separating what you believe from your feelings. The thought that comes to my mind is marriage. You know, marriage is easy when you feel it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but then there's the times where you really don't feel it, and then what are you going to do? And I think spiritually that's true, too. How did you fight through that process? How did you fight through that lack of feelings and just questioning? You know, I think I just kept deciding over and over. I remember one day we were starving. We hadn't had anything to eat in days. And I thought of David's words in Psalm that talk about, 
I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's children begging bread, and we were begging, and I felt forsaken. And I thought, you know, uh, just because David's never seen it doesn't mean it's not happening. And I, I thought, well, why is my God shall supply all your needs? Why is that in Scripture if it's not true? So I just kept making decisions. I kept thinking, okay, God's word says it. It must be true. It's not working for me right now, but I'm going to believe it. I'm going to hang on to that. There was nothing else to hang on to. I couldn't trust our captors. They didn't have our best interests at heart. I wasn't strong enough. There was nothing left to trust. And uh, so looked up and sought the Lord and came to know him in a whole new way. I think he he revealed himself to me in a whole new way. So I still have lots of questions, Todd. <laughs> lots of questions. But I know the one. You know, I Who know God. Yeah, yeah, I know him better now. Talk a little bit about how he ministered to you, because I think that's that's a story we hear from other persecuted Christians as well. In that desperate moment, God came and ministered. Tell us kind of what that was like. You know, he often did it when I was sitting by myself, singing hymns to myself. I used to go through the alphabet. A, a mighty fortress is our God. You know, B, for C, I think it was country roads take me home. <laughs> Something crazy. But, I like that one. But I would, I would sing the great hymns of the faith to myself. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark. He never fails. He's our helper amidst the flood. And I would put myself into those awesome words that someone wrote ever so long ago. The other thing God gave me was Martin. You know, I didn't know what sort of man I was married to. I I knew he was a neat Christian, but never understood before our captivity, his Christ-likeness. And he he would encourage me. Things that would come out of his mouth. Um, at one point, someone paid a ransom for us. You know, that's what we'd all been waiting for. And we could all go home. And some of the money came into camp. And the guys sat down and had a big meeting and br- called us over and said, someone's paid a ransom for you, but we've decided it's not enough and we're going to ask for more. And I was devastated. And as I went to bed that night, Martin kind of nudged me and said, Gracia, I'm so glad when Jesus paid a ransom for us, it was enough. You know, just putting my my mind back on the Lord or never blaming me for stupid things I would do. Like one day I lost our backpack. It had everything we owned in there. And I left it beside the trail when I was off going to the bathroom. And, and Martin very gently said to me, uh, Gracia, I forgive you. Now you need to forgive yourself. You know, just so many kind things came out of his mouth and he encouraged me. God gave me hymns and God gave me Martin and used his word, often used his word. And it's interesting that you say that you learned a lot about him because it's not like you were newlyweds. You had been married for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And yet his character was so revealed through that fire. It really was. I think a lot of us women are living with amazing men, but life has just kind of gotten in the way. You know, they leave their socks hanging around or they haven't cleaned the garage and you've been nagging him about that. And, you know, life just happens and you start getting nitpicky. But all of a sudden the chips are down and you're down to nothing. 
And this man just steps up and leads you and encourages you to be godly. And I'm so glad I had that opportunity. I, I've always been happy that I had those months with Martin in the jungle to really get to know him. <laughs> Was there ever a time when, when you got mad at him <laughs> for trying to remind you of something? Why would you ask me that question? Because <laughs> I'm a husband. <laughs> One time, Todd. And I can't believe you asked that question. One time I got mad at Martin. We passed this house that had been shot up. And there on the the step was a little empty tin can. And I thought, we're going to need that tin can. And I said to Martin, we should pick that up. And he said, ah, just leave it. And we went past the tin can, and I started feeling horrible because I really wanted that empty tin can. And so at our next stop, I told Martin how mad I was that he hadn't let me go get the tin can. And he said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you really wanted it. I thought you were just asking my opinion. And a tin can caused our one real, (laughs) real problem in the jungle. What is the response? Because I know you're going around to the American church. You're sharing. You're sharing at VOM conferences. What is the response of the American church when you share your story? I think what people mostly say to me is, Thank you for telling us your story. We were praying for you, and we are so glad to hear what God was doing in your heart while we were praying. The other thing I hear them say is, stories like yours encourage us with our walk. I'm facing some really big hardships today, but I hear your story, and mine doesn't compare with yours. They normally add that, you know, my my story doesn't compare with yours, and since when are we comparing stories? Everything's a trial when you're going through it. But they say, you know, the same God that led you through the jungle is going to lead me through my problem today. Isn't that cool? That happens. We hear stories of people who have overcome, and it encourages us to keep going. And I want to follow up because you said many of the people say, hey, we prayed for you. Mm. One of the things we always do on Voice of the Martyrs Radio is we tell people, you got to pray. You've been there. You've seen the prayer from the other side. Tell us what those prayers meant. Tell us, tell us why we should pray. Oh, boy. I had no idea how many people were praying for us. There would be days when all of a sudden I knew people were praying. One day we were walking through a swamp waist-high swamps. We'd just been in a gun battle. There were wounded. They were dragging them through the swamps. We were exhausted. And I remember thinking, all of a sudden, people are praying for us right now. But I had no idea. I thought my mom and a few other people then got home and found out that Voice of the Martyrs and other Christian radio stations were praying for us, and it suddenly made sense. You know, the body of Christ, we really can hold each other up, and we need people holding us up or we're not going to make it. So now it's very important that I go to Wednesday night prayer meeting. It's very important that that I pray for others because I know how much I needed it. Talk a little more about the fact that you knew people were praying for you. Do you was that... The Holy Spirit saying that, or was that just you grabbing onto a promise? Or It must have been the Holy Spirit, because I would know in a moment 
there's someone praying for me right now. Even when Martin was dying on the hillside, you know, the military came over um, over the hill and opened fire on us like they'd done, you know, 16 times before. And Martin was laying there bleeding from his chest and I was shot in the leg. And I, I remember just having a peace in my heart and thinking, people are praying for us in this moment. I in that moment, I didn't feel forsaken. That must be the Holy Spirit. I hope that our listeners grab a hold of that and and think on that a little bit and the fact that there are people right now who mm-hmm. need those prayers. Mm-hmm. They're in those jungles. They're in those jail cells. One of the things that I often pray as we pray for the persecuted is, Lord, let them know that we're praying for them. So I'm thrilled to hear you say that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. He reminded you, hey— there's people praying for you. He did. Tell us some good news, because I know you still hear reports from the Philippines. You still hear reports from some of the guys who were your captors. Share share some of the good news. Oh, well, through a series of events, I found out that there was an American couple working in a maximum security prison in Manila with some of the very men who held us captive. So I started asking them, who's there? Maybe I know them. And probably about 23 of them are in maximum security. And this couple works with them and with other people, of course, in the prison. Every other summer, we get together and plan projects that we can do for these men in the prison and ways to show the love of Christ to them. And some of them are going to Bible studies and asking for the scriptures in their own dialects. And word is that so far, four of them have come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. You know, it's not over till it's over. We just keep praying, and I don't know if the listening audience thinks about me every once in a while. Pray for those guys in prison. Their day of grace isn't over. They have today. And that's what Martin used to tell me when I would say, why is this going on for so long? Why are we still here in the presence of our enemies? And Martin would say, you know, I I think God's given these guys one more day of grace, one more day to do it right, to turn to him, to hear the gospel, and maybe that's what our job is right here. Their day of grace isn't over, and I, I just have to hope and think that I'm going to see some of them in heaven one day, and it's not going to matter what happened here on earth. You know, God's going to get the victory, and I'm just praying that they're with me in heaven. Amen. God was good to us. Yeah. What is Martin's legacy? How would you describe his legacy? If I could use one word to describe Martin, I would say he was faithful. I was thinking the other day of, you know, I, I need something to to show what a great man Martin was. And, and I thought, well, you know, there's the stone down the road in, in the cemetery that has his birth date and his death date and a cross in the middle to show that something very significant happened and you know, maybe maybe that's the thing that is going to show people that Martin really loved the Lord and he was faithful. I, I don't think Martin much cares. I think he kind of just wants to hear the Lord say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that I prepared for you. Martin was a good guy. <laughs> Do you ever think about a world in which Martin and Gracia didn't go away for their anniversary and they didn't get kidnapped and 
first do you think about oh, that? Oh, sure. And second, what does that world look like to you? Oh. I mean, do you see, are you still in the Philippines? Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, we would still be in the Philippines and he would still be flying for a new tribe's mission and I'd still be sitting by that crazy radio. And I often think of that and I'm kind of glad I didn't get to choose. You know, I'm glad the Lord didn't come to me in a dream or something and say, Gracia, you want to be taken hostage or you want to grow old with Martin? Because I would have chosen grow old with Martin in a heartbeat. It's good that we don't get to choose. And God calls us to certain things and he causes us to react in certain ways in certain situations to work all things together for good and for his glory. And I think that's what happened. I think things have worked together for good in our story. And I think God has gotten glory. And it, I guess that's the point, right? <laughs> the point isn't to so. grow old with your husband. <laughs> right. That's not the point. The point is to glorify God with what we've been given down here. I heard you say something this morning that I've not heard you say previously, and it was about your kids. You said that while you were captive, you couldn't let yourself think about the kids. Mm. Why not? Tell, tell us about that. I found that if I started thinking about the kids and what they were going through and trying to figure out, oh, are they a mess? You know, are they uh, falling apart? I would become hysterical if I thought about the kids. So when the kids came to mind, this may sound so hard hearted, I would just tell myself the kids are fine and I would take care of myself. There were a few times when Martin and I in the evening would say, what do you think the kids are doing? And we would all think really happy thoughts like, <laughs> oh, they're at a football game tonight. Maybe they're buying cotton candy. Maybe they having a Coke and some popcorn. You know, we would try to think happy things about the kids. But I didn't often think about them because I, I knew they were going through a traumatic situation as well. And I didn't know how they were handling it but there was nothing I could do about it, and it upset me greatly. So I knew I just needed to keep myself in line. But then after you got back with your kids, you saw how God had mm. he'd, he'd taken care of it. Oh, goodness. So share, how did he do that? Yeah, I, I came home. I didn't know what to expect from the children. What I didn't know was they didn't know what to expect from me. And... um. I saw that they were the same kids. They were just a year older, and they seemed so well-adjusted. And I thought, how can this be? And then I started meeting the people that God had surrounded them with, their teachers at school. And they went to a public school, but their teachers loved Jesus, and their youth pastor, and their pastor at church, and their grandma and grandpa, Martin's mom and dad, is who the kids went home to live with for that year. And they are people of great faith. So they were surrounded by these people who loved the Lord and were trusting him, and the kids were fine. And what the kids said to me was, Mom, we're so glad that one of you got to come home. We didn't want to be orphans. We wanted one of you to come home, and that's exactly what Martin and I were praying in the jungle. Oh, Lord, let one of us go home. Of course, we wanted both of us to come home, but the kids chose to see the good side of things. And the kids love the Lord. The kids have a heart for the Lord. They're, they're involved in missions and ministry. And uh, God's just really been good to me on, on that front. I haven't had to worry about the kids. Has there ever been a time where they struggled with 
as a as a son, I think my one of my thoughts would be, God, why did you take away my father? Have they gone through that and come out the other side, or did God just protect them from that? If the kids have ever struggled with, God, why did you take my dad? They have never said that to me. I don't think they've struggled with that. They've all had their chances to uh, share with others what they went through, and I've never gotten to hear it. So I don't actually know what they're saying. You know, Jeff, when he was at Liberty University, would speak in dorm devotions, and Mindy did some evangelistic teas when she was in school in Wisconsin, and Zach has spoken with kids' groups, but I've never heard them. I think what they're saying is, God's faithful. When you go through a hard time, God's faithful. God is going to be faithful to you because you're his child. And I think it's interesting that your kids have a heart for ministry and are involved in ministry because, you know, sometimes you go into things and you don't really know what it's going to cost you. They clearly know this could be very costly, and yet they've gone that direction with their lives. And I think that that speaks highly to their own faith and to they recognize that God is good even when there's suffering involved. Mm. You know, um, Steve Saint, Nate Saint's son, I don't know, Nate Saint was the pilot that was killed in the jungle by the Alka Indians. And Steve Saint spent some time with my children on several different occasions because he could relate to them. His dad had died in the jungle like my kids. And Several things he said to the kids were things I never could say. Like he told the children, the way you live your life will validate what your dad died for. Wow. That's something I never would have said to my children. I never wanted to push them into missions or ministry or anything like that. I wanted them to be who they are. But isn't that neat that someone who's been there and lost his father could say those things to my children. And I think my kids doing well has just been God's special gift to me somehow. I, I don't take any credit for that. I think it was God's just special favor on me. Well, and I think it also is honoring Martin's legacy. Yeah. Um, that, that God would protect them. That's neat. So let's talk a little bit about VOM conferences, because I know you have been one of the speakers that's spoken at many of our conferences What's your favorite thing about going to a Voice of the Martyrs conference? I love VOM conferences, and I plug into one every chance I get. And I think what I love about them is a certain group of people come to those things. They aren't warm, fuzzy conferences. You're not there to get warm fuzzies. You're going to hear some very hard stories, but at the end of the day, you're going to be so uplifted and see the triumph that God gives in the middle of hardship. And what I like is the people that come in the door know what they're there for, and they go home. I feel like they go home changed, and they go home challenged. And there's all these different uh, conferences that you can go to, and um, you hear good music and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure you ever really go home changed. I don't know. But that's what I love about VOM conferences. You go home changed and challenged and ready to pray. (laughs) 
storming the gates of heaven type praying for those brothers and sisters who are being persecuted? I always tell people we draw the cream of the American church. If you're willing to give a Saturday to come mm. out and hear about persecution yeah. and suffering, I, I uh, agree. You're not you're not a lightweight. <laughs> you're, you're there for the right reasons. So mm-hmm. uh, I encourage people, you can go to vommeetings.com. You can see what conferences are coming up. You can see the ones that Gracia is going to be at. If you have not heard her speak, you will want to be there. You will be challenged. Uh, and I, I appreciate Gracia so much because she does have that honesty of saying, hey, I'm not a super Christian. (laughs) There were days I was kind of mad about this whole situation, but here's what God did. Gracia, you talked about prayers, and, and as we finish up, how can we be in prayer for you and for your family and for your ministry? Oh, my. I guess, would you pray that I'll know what to do? Every year in August, I plan the next year, and I always think, I don't want to plan next year because what if God calls me to the mission field and I've got this year of meetings going on? So I always do that truly by faith because I don't really want to be doing it. Also pray, I'm going to try to do a radio broadcast into the Philippines. Transworld Radio is going to help me. And they'll just be short little five-minute things. I'll tell a story about what happened in the jungle and a gospel message or something that encourages believers. But I got to write those crazy things. And I have like 200 more to write. So, you know, pray for me that I'll be diligent and have ideas. And God can use anybody. God can use anything. And sometimes you, you see this thing that maybe he wants you to do, but it's so far beyond you. You don't think you can do it by faith. You start at a snail's pace. So that's what we're doing. Gracia, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your ministry to our VOM listeners and readers. Thank you. You are welcome, Todd. It's It's been an honor to be here. And I want to thank everybody who prayed for me out there in Radioland. Oh boy, we needed it. I think Gracia Burnham's story will make each of us stop and reconsider when we're tempted to complain or tempted to give up when God calls us to do something difficult or allows us to go through a time of suffering or hardship. Stories like this change us and help us see every life situation as an opportunity to build God's kingdom and give Him glory. I hope that you'll dig deeper into Gracious Story by getting a copy of her amazing book, In the Presence of My Enemies. I know you can find the book a lot of places, but we'll give you a link to order it directly from VOM when you visit us at vomradio.net. Again, that website is vomradio.net. Our guest next week here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio is a Bible smuggler, and he's going to share with us some of the challenges and the miracles that he's experienced taking God's Word into places where the authorities don't want it to go. We're going to hear from Patrick Klein from Vision Beyond Borders, so I hope you'll be back with us next week to hear from him right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.